podcast from Green Curtain Theatre. On Raglan Road, on an autumn day, I saw her first and I knew. Hi, I'm Anne. I'm the founder and director of Green Curtain Theatre Productions. I began playwriting a number of years ago, and like many people, wanted to move away from writing alone at home to joining a playwriting group. I was delighted to find out that today's guest, John Dunn, ran such a group at the London Irish Centre in Camden. I enrolled in the classes, along with many other first and second generation Irish people who were eager to try their hand at playwriting but within a setting that allowed them to reflect their Irish heritage. John ran these classes along with a festival each year in which he performed some of the plays that we had written. Sadly, John no longer runs these classes, but I did learn a lot about fringe theatre from him, some of which I was able to put to use when I was setting up Green Curtain Theatre. That is why I decided to begin these series of podcasts on Irish diaspora theatre in the UK by interviewing John. I went along to the Irish Centre in Camden where he works as a senior volunteer in the library. I began by asking him when he started playwriting. I've always been a writer from knee high. I started off with fiction as, as most of us do. And then I got into, um, basically, I got into Brendan Bean, and that sort of took me down the playwriting course. Um, I joined various groups when I was younger. I had a couple of mentors, so that steered me through the whole, the whole process. And I find that if I'm teaching something, I'm learning at the same time. So, so it's a good way of, of getting my students to pay for my education in, in the craft. Um, because you, know, you you know you pick up ideas and and points as you go along. If you can't learn every day, then the, the day is lost. And so therefore, so teaching it uh, was a way to sort of develop my own skills as, as well as share what I had to share with other people. And they were they were certainly very fun sort of classes. They, I think were good fun. they were good and fun. And you were good fun, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> and you I were think... very good fun. I think one thing that singled them out and I think made them special for me and for a lot of other people is that we were able to write about the Irish immigrant experience in a venue, in a setting where it was understood because a lot of other people were from the same background. Now I know you're, you're second generation Irish, um, so I was curious that your a lot of your plays tend to focus on historical characters and events, and I just wondered if you'd like to tell me a bit more about that. Again, it goes back to education, because like a lot of people, both both first generation Irish and indeed second, they know a bit about the, about the Irish history, but not enough. And I find that if I'm writing a play about uh, Michael Collins or the famine or the Easter Rising, my latest play is about. Kitty O'Shea and and Parnell. I'm I'm amazed how many Irish people that I speak to who kind of know the the basics but don't know the detail, and so therefore if you can turn that 
detail into into drama and make it work as drama and not just a, like a, a lecture um, that's a good way of of exploring history and for me personally I've learned a great deal by, by not only writing plays with a historical background but reading plays as well someone sent me a play about Captain Boycott again I'd heard of them again I, I kind of knew what happened but I didn't know what happened so if I can, so that's my constituency, you might say. The way that I describe my audience is kind of is three categories: those who know more than me, which can take up a fair, a fair number. <laughs> no, those who know pretty much the same as me, so they're learning, they're, they're learning as I'm learning, and those who know nothing about it at all, which are usually partners, wives, husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, who who are dragged along to these things. So I've got a duty of care to engage all three kind of constituencies which is the reason why I do what I do. I do other things as well um, um, so it's not, it's not exclusively Irish history but that's what kind of rings my bell and and being in charge of a big library of six and a half thousand books all on Irish culture and history and um, the rest of it I'm spoiled for choice so I can go to any shelf pull off half a dozen books hey presto the play. Okay, <clears throat> can you tell me about the plays you've actually written? Because you're you've quite a number of you're a playwright in your, in your own right, aren't you? Mm. Can you tell mm. me one, one about the plays that you've written? In terms of the Irish uh, context, um, yeah. the, the first one would be Famine. Yeah. Uh, that was a trilogy, I believe. It became a trilogy of four plays. So, <laughs> so, so let's not go there. Trilogy. <laughs> And and that and that's what really got me going because I lived in I was brought up in the UK but but uh, four years living in Belfast before the troubles mm. so I was so I was getting an Irishness from those four year um, uh, 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 period I then went to a British school afterwards and the first thing that they called me was Paddy so they I, they identified me as Irish mm. we got this whole thing haven't we Anne mm. you know, uh, to the Irish, we're English, and to the English, we're Irish. Yeah. And you know, we really all all, all belong on the Isle of Man. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. And we're stuck. I think we're stuck in a we're very stuck personally. Yeah. yeah. I, I know. I know. We share the same kind of um, view. So, the first book I read was about the famine, um, Britain Smith, and that affected me deeply. Affected me deeply. Where my mates at school were reading about the Holocaust and about Belson and, and, and mm. I was written, looking at the pictures of bodies piled mm. up on, you know, mm. uh, I was reading Irish history. Mm. And that was my first play. And I would say most probably my most enduring, successful play. So that was the first one. Second one uh, was about um, going back to Ireland, going back to Belfast after, uh, during the triangle for the Leprechauns in the Hills and the, the Miss Legend and the, the Morrigan and Queen Maeve and the Cat. You know, so I go for that. When I'm in London, I then go back to L London Irish, which I know is an area that you occupy mm. a lot of interest in. And I have, I have done some mm. plays. I did a play two years ago, um, Belfast Kiss, about a, a family that had migrated from Belfast. Into, mm. I've also got an interest in Northern Ireland as well because I think for many years um, because of the troubles Northern Irish theatre culture didn't really get the airing that it does now so 
there's different strands coming in that you know I, I wish in some cases there was just one strand that I could mine in depth hmm. but, but it's not it's coming in from all directions yeah you don't make any money out of it no so what do you get out of it a buzz a niche I call it I call it a niche that I need scratching that you know occasionally if I have a bad shot, that's it, that's it, never again, no more, forget about it, and then two weeks later, what's next, what's coming? The buzz I get is is working in collaboration. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, but you know, you get what you get. And I like, I like rehearsals, I like producing. I'm a fairly red director, I think you're the same as me, I'm there every night. Some directors breathe in, breathe out, and that's what you see of them. I enjoy, I enjoy the stage management, I enjoy the operating the lights and sound, I enjoy seeing it every night, I enjoy working with the production, it changes. Mm. The play that goes into rehearsal is not often the play that, that comes out. Mm. And I enjoy you know, working with, with the actors. It's the theatrical process mixed with the literary need as well. So, you know, if I'm a bit behind, I'm a scripting is to go and bring a play. And if there's a bit of gap, I'll start scripting again. John, can you tell me what's the most important thing that an audience member has said to you? And by that, I mean something that's really kind of touched you and made you feel that the whole business was worthwhile. It was, my, it was the first time that my father had seen any of my plays and he said, well done, son. Now that doesn't mean that he wasn't praising me as a son, but it was the first time as a, a theatre experience that he had never experienced before, and that has stayed with me. Both my parents have passed on uh, 12 years, 13 years ago, but I've got my dad on my shoulder. Okay. That everything I do, yeah. I kind of do, it sounds, it sounds corny, and, and, and by all means, the lead, but I do with his image on my shoulder and but that's interesting and what what did you your dad must have said something more than than well done no or meant something he what meant did, something more uh, than, yeah. what did he mean he meant that his irishness was being being passed on through me because you know i'm one, one, one of the six i'm the only for paddy in the family you might mm. say mm. And, and i think he sort of embraced that and mm. and, and recognized that that would then be his kind of like heritage passed on. It sounds a bit, you know. I don't. I don't think. I don't think it sounds at all um, daft or anything like that. Because if if I was being asked that question myself, mm. it would be would be in a moment when a great big um, contractor burst into tears yeah. and hugged us and said, "Thank you so much. I you're the tears. first. You're the first person who's ever acknowledged us." So I can. I can. I think. So it's, it's about. It's about acknowledgement, so that that's lovely. I think also, that's nice. also, which is another thing to admit to, there's been arguments in the audience. There's been stand-up rows in the audience of my plays. I'm sitting Tell there, me more. I'm thinking, oh, that's lovely. I did a play about well, it, it a play about a famine that we did, and one guy took exception. He got up on his feet and made had made a comment, and and another guy up on his feet and said this is the best thing since Charles Casey and, and, and should be seen by everyone and, and this round was breaking out in the audience and I'm sitting there thinking well A where's the exit because I may have to leave fairly quickly and B I was 
delighted to get an audience, you know, but it wasn't aimed at me. Well, it was, but it wasn't. Yeah, you know. no, that's, that's nice. Finally, I want to ask you, um, you told me that you're interested in adapting classic Irish mm, novels and yeah, working yeah. Irish classics. What's So you've already done that. So there's two parts to this question. What is the, the classic that you most enjoyed adapting? First question. And second question, which is the one that you'd like to do? The one that I most enjoyed was Informer. Yeah. Liam O'Flaherty. A lot of adapting has not necessarily been Irish. It's been... Um, English classics because I went through a period where I was being asked to 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 adapt short versions of the the railway children mm. with one child far from the Manning crowd with a cast of two mm. so I was like specialising in really holding down but that was really an English phase of my career can we come back to in, in we, terms of the can we come back to the informer yeah and tell me you it's, it's the you you've just said that the play the classic you've just said that the classic yeah. you most like adapting is the informer by Liam O'Flaherty mm -hmm. why what did you get out of it good story yeah good story relevant tragic um and to be quite honest fairly easy to adapt can you tell me why good story uh, poignant sad tragic um and to be quite honest, at the time I was working at the King's Head and they wanted to play it on a fairly regular basis and it was easy to adapt. The dialogue leapt off the page and that makes a big difference. And do you think it's relevant today? Uh, I think so. I think people who are being offered money to inform is, has always been part of Irish kind of political discourse. Um, the naivety then would not be would not be around now, but it would it would be, it's a cracking good story because this guy has done a bad thing, and he should really just go away. But he spends his money on drink and women, and he almost digs well he digs his own grave. Yeah, yeah. What's your what's your favourite play? If you go to the theatre, what sort of plays do you like to see? The kind of plays I write. Yeah historically based or classics you know a bit of playboy the western world or goes down well john before i came here i asked you to um select your favorite poem or song and you've chosen something that's both you've chosen raglan road by patrick kavanagh would you like to tell me why that's your favorite it says the sh uh, it says children down my spine and that opening that opening rift which which luke kelly has, has made famous we did a play about Kavanagh in Dublin uh, a few years ago and I met up with, with a Luke Kelly um, a tribute singer and he was brilliant. Uh, Chris Kavanagh his name was and, and, and he was absolutely brilliant. He said, I'd be delighted to come along on the first night and play you the song. Uh, wonderful. He played three songs, The Wild Rover, Raglan Road and, and, and something else. And, and that sent shivers down my back, literally. I went backstage to the cast and they, get, and they gave me a, a, a hell of a time saying we have to go on now and beat that because mm. the opening lines of the play was on Raglan Road or mm. you know, yeah. and, and said, thanks thanks John you really you know mm. but it was a magic it's one of those magic moments in the theatre mm. for me mm. and it's a great song yeah it's a great song and uh, I think Kavanagh uh, uh, by Tom O'Brien 
I'll give you credit. I've gone through three or four different versions, but we toured right across Ireland. Before the crash, we toured 32 venues across Ireland with our Cavanagh plane. And that was amazing. And then the crash happened, the money went, blah, blah, mm. blah. But, you know, 32. I knew people in Ireland who hadn't even been to half the counties that we hit, mm. from, from Coleraine down to um, Dingle and across. We knew the middle of Ireland so mm. well because we were crossing it yeah. at all times, yeah, yeah. at all times. And, um, and to be honest, I, it's my first major tour of Ireland. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't pronounce half the names of people that I was dealing with. I would take a book booking and then go to a map to see mm. where the, the town was. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy, but good way to, to, to know Ireland and a good way to know your audience. So, brilliant. Yeah, so something something very positive to, oh, to end on. absolutely. Yeah. It, it was my mind. I came away broke and crying and, <laughs> and, 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 oh God, you know, a broken man but it was well worth doing great okay can i just come sort of full circle i said that we're in the library at the london irish center and mm -hmm. i know you have been the the person who's pulled all pulled all this together do you want to tell me a little bit about your library here it started off four years ago maybe even five somebody passed on and they had a, a collection of 400 books and they wanted his family to find a home so they came here and the, the powers that be, because this was before I got involved, the powers that be said, yeah, 400 books, not a big problem, we will find you a wee corner. And, and that was the end of it. There was a government official, um, um, a TD, I, I'm not sure who, who came along, who was told the story. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll get word across Ireland to see if we can add a few more books to your collection. Within six months, that 400 became 10,000 <gasps> books. 10,000 books. And, oh my God, because no, and there were boxes piled everywhere. And uh, I was then brought in. So I wasn't the originator, but I was brought in because they were looking for volunteers, library experience. In my previous life, I was a professional <laughs> librarian. So I put my hand up, they took my hand off, and uh, I said, well, the first thing we'd be need is shelving. 6,000 pounds worth of shelving in that room. And we started to unpack the, the books and we have six and a half thousand books on the shelf. We still have a couple of thousand. A lot of discards, a lot of English books. John, I noticed you've got this, this picture of the Easter Rising um, in the library. Can you tell me a bit more about that? It was a, a donation of books uh, that came from a lady who's, who now has Alzheimer's and she's Lima Flowery's daughter and she's downsizing into a nursing home and, uh, and that was part of the c c collection and I'm really pleased to have it because you know it's an iconic piece of work and it's well framed and it's going to hang up in my office because there's no room in, in the library itself so it's going to go above there. Alright, um, so did she did she see the play The Informer? No. She didn't know. I would, I would imagine not. Yeah. yeah. I doubt it. Yeah. You said that a lot of your donations come from people who are downsizing. You mentioned a lady who's going into a nursing home. I mean, I'm very conscious that that generation of the huge immigration that took place um, the last century, um, people are now, now dying, dying out. 
what do you think your the legacy of this of this library would mean to them? The bulk of our readership is is that generation uh, mixed with with the younger generation who are doing research. We've got a lot of students coming in mm. doing their dissertations and stuff, uh, but. Um, it's an unusual library in that it's not, it's not judged by the books that we issue. In any given week, we, we, we may only issue maybe uh, 20 books during that period. But, but what it does do is become a, a focal point for people to come in and talk about their experiences. In the UK, we talk about home. Mm. And I, I, we have a wonderful team of, of volunteers. It's not just me. And our job is, is to sit often over a cup of tea and let, and let people talk, which is great. Mm. Um, because that's, you know, that's the function of this library. You wouldn't get it elsewhere. Because mm. elsewhere, you know, how many books you want, stamp, 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 go, mm. go away. But we, do, we issue very few books, but we, we do a lot of crack. <laughs> we do a lot of talk, we do a lot of, and we learn. Again, I go back to my first point. You know, the reason why I do what I do is that I want to learn about my own heritage and my own Irishness because you know, having grown up in the UK, especially during the Troubles, everything that happened back home was filtered. Yeah, yeah. Was filtered. The, the people are, are talking about um, incidents that I don't know about, and I was fairly well attuned. Final question, John. Um, if people want to join the library, what do they do? Just, to, uh, just come in and say hello. Right. Okay. If, if they bring up some ID, a driving license, or anything. Yeah. Um, a British passport might not be that current now after <laughs> next month. <laughs> so bring a large passport. If you can. Yeah. No, we, we are fairly relaxed because the books are given to us. Although we have ownership of, of mm. the library, it's not, it's not, it's relaxed. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank no, you. thank you for the questions. We will end this podcast with the reading of On Raglan Road by Patrick Kavanagh, which was John's choice of poem. For those of you who may not have heard the name Patrick Kavanagh, he was born in Inishkeen in County Monaghan at the beginning of the 20th century. Inishkeen is now in the Republic of Ireland. His dad, Patrick, was a cobbler and farmer, and Patrick left school at 13 to learn his father's trade and to work on the family farm. His first collection of poems were published in 1936 by Macmillan in a series on new poets. These poets were described as being free of the sentiment often associated with rural poems of that time. Kavanagh eventually settled in Dublin, working as a part-time journalist and film critic, where he continued to write poetry. This poem was written in 1946. We found this lovely reading of it on the Passionate Transitory channel on YouTube. We hope you enjoy it. On Raglan Road by Patrick Kavanagh On Raglan Road on an autumn day, I met her first and knew That her dark hair would weave a snare That I might one day rue. I saw the danger, yet I walked Along the enchanted way, And I said, let grief be a fallen leaf At the dawning of the day. 
On Grafton Street in November, we tripped lightly along the ledge of the deep ravine where can be seen the worth of passion's pledge. The queen of hearts still making tarts and I not making hay. Oh, I loved too much and by such by such is happiness thrown away. I gave her gifts of the mind, I gave her the secret sign that's known to the artists who have known the true gods of sound and stone, and word and tint I did not stint, for I gave her poems to say, with her own name there, and her own dark hair, like clouds over fields of May. On a quiet street, where old ghosts meet, I see her walking now, Away from me, so hurriedly my reason must allow That I had wooed, not as I should, a creature made of clay. When the angel woos the clay, he'd lose his wings at the dawn of day. This has been a Green Curtain Theatre podcast, recorded in March 2019. Visit our website www.irishinlondontheatre.co.uk where you can also subscribe to the podcast service to be informed about new episodes as they are released.